Did you enjoy sleeping in a little bit? Maybe you went for brunch before church this morning, the 11 a.m. There was a woman here. She was so excited to be at church for the time change, so excited to be at the 915 service uh, that she didn't want to miss it. She set her alarm nice and early. The problem was she set her alarm early yesterday, and she showed up at 9 o'clock yesterday morning, so excited for church. And so Kathleen, she said, make sure you tell the people uh, how excited I was to be at church. So we're excited to have you worshiping. If you're worshiping with us online, we're so glad to have you worshiping with us today as well. If you ever notice, it seems everywhere you go these days, uh, there's shops wanting to sell souvenirs. Are any souvenir collectors in the house? Anyone you collect something specific for, as a souvenir? I remember growing up in my grandma's house, she had all these wooden racks all over the walls in the dining room, and she had these little silver spoons. Anyone you collect the silver spoons you had, your grandma did, they had these little collectible spoons. Everywhere she went, she'd get a spoon and uh, hang it on a rack. I have another friend who collects Starbucks mugs. Everywhere they travel, they travel a fair bit, and every city or country you go to, you can get a Starbucks mug with the name of that country or city. And so they have a, a cupboard full of Starbucks mugs. And when you go there, it's fun. You get to pick what country you want to, to drink from uh, that night. I, I don't collect anything specific about, but it's kind of by default, it seems like I've, I've just started a collection. It's not official, but maybe I should make it official. And... Um, I have developed a, a playing card collection. And uh, what happened is uh, my family, we love to play cards together. And Holly and I are pretty, we, we love to play crib. And uh, the problem is that every time we go somewhere, we forget to pack cards. And so when we go somewhere, when we're traveling, we end up buying them. And so uh, since I've moved to BC only two years ago, uh, I have cards from when I took my first BC ferry ride. So that's kind of nice to commemorate the ferry. And uh, $4.50 for these cards. That's like really marked up. Uh, you know, when I was uh, on Vancouver Island, we stopped at uh, the old country market at Coombs, BC, at the Goats on the Roof. Uh, anyone been to Goats on the Roof there? I just had to get this card. Even though I had the ferry card at that time, I still had to get this one because uh, how do you not forget Goats on the Roof? That's really good. Um, some of you have been uh, supporting me emotionally over the last few weeks uh, since I told you I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. I was in Dallas. I, got, I know the first two weeks, you guys were, what are you talking about? Your team is great. And then the last two weeks, people have been texting me every Sunday night going, praying for you, Pastor. I, I don't know how you do it. A traumatic experience as a Cowboys fan, I know. Uh, last year, my family got to go to Hawaii, and so we got these, this Hawaii. It's fun to play with these cards, because you pull them out. You're like, what deck do you want to play with? And, and how do we know that the, 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 um, the, the value is not so much in the cards themselves or in the souvenir? That it's more a sentimental value, right? You've got to remember the moments that you uh, enjoyed and the memories that you had in each of those places. It's fun to remember and reflect on where we've been and what we experienced, right? Let me ask you a, a couple of questions. Let's play a little game here. Uh, where were you when? Let's go back down memory lane a little bit. Where were you when you took your first trip out of the country? The country you were born in. Maybe you weren't born in Canada, but your first trip out of your birth country, uh, where did you go? Where, where were you when you took that first trip? Right? Where were you when you took your first flight? Do you remember your first flight? Anyone? How about... Your first kiss. Where were you when you got your first kiss? Wow. Some of you are thinking way back years and years ago to your first kiss. Kindergarten. Wasn't it Pastor Ralph? I don't know. <laughs> so. 
Here's some, some of you older folks. Where were you on New Year's Eve of Y2K? Doesn't that stand out in your mind? Remember when we were filling our bathtubs full of water and we were taking cash out of the ATM machine because the computers were all going to die and crash, you know, on the Y2K? I remember I was at a youth group party and I had bleach blonde hair and I had neon Y2K glasses. I just remember it was a fun, fun night. Here's one for Pastor Holly. Not that she's gotten this recently, but she gave me this idea. Where were you when you got your last speeding ticket? Do you remember that? Remember that? Is that etched in your mind? It's funny, right? It's funny how some memories are so vivid, we can remember them just like they were yesterday, and other memories are so vague. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been like reminiscing with people, and you're kind of reminiscing, and you just remember that moment, remember that memory, and you're just kind of having a good time? Uh, have you ever noticed when you get other people involved, though, that sometimes they remember it a little differently? And you're kind of like, that's not what happened. Like, I don't know how you're remembering it. That's not what happened. You know, it's really embarrassing, though, when you're talking and, and you're remembering and you're like, were you there? I don't even remember you being there, right? That's, that's really embarrassing. It's fun to remember and reflect on where you've been and what you've experienced. I had this memory pop up on my Facebook uh, this week. This is from nine years ago. Nine years ago, it's funny that we're, we're planting, we're starting two services, making room for those who aren't in the room. Uh, nine years ago, as a pastor, I was launching a brand new church expression. I was a multi-site where we were starting another service in a high school that we were renting, and we were uh, going into this community and starting afresh. And so this popped up on my memory. Remember when? And all the feelings and the prayers and, and uh, the anxiety that went with launching. Like, who's going to come to this? And, and will it succeed? And do I have what it takes. And I remember at that time, as I was doing this process, they kept putting me through uh, a church planting assessment. They wanted to know, would you make a good church planter? The irony is I kept telling them all along, I'm not a church planter. I've never wanted to plant a church. It's never been a dream of mine to plant a church. I never felt specifically to, to plant a church. Well, I think I was coping with it. Well, how I was coping with it was this. I don't want to plant a church, but if I was starting another ministry just at a different location, I could do that. And so that's what I did. We, we started this site and we launched this church. We invited people to come. And I remember about six months in, I was at a, at a pastor's retreat and we were having a prayer moment. And in that prayer moment, God said something to me specifically. And he said, Jeremy, stop saying you're not a church planter. And I kind of thought in that moment, I guess I am. I've been doing it for six months already. But I said, God, what would I do differently if I had a different mentality? What would I do if I had this mentality of being a, a church planter? How would I do it differently? I can look back all on my life and remember and reflect on so many moments where God was speaking and moving. It's kind of like these cards. Like, I remember when and, and how this was and I'm reflecting on how God called me. I remember the night that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues as a 16-year-old at, at camp. I remember buying our first house together with Holly and the house that she wanted already had an offer on it and I didn't want to get involved with the bidding war but we were praying, God, what house would you want us to buy? What neighbors would you want us to have? And I remember going from like I'm not even interested in this house to like I feel God gave me a number that I should offer on it and we bought our first house all along the way uh, remembering uh, God even coming here two years ago I remember the process of God saying there's something new another chapter and season coming for your family you're going to move them from Ontario to BC I remember it just like it was yesterday personal moments when God was shaping leading moments when God's comforted me when God's challenged me, challenged me in my thinking, my attitude, my behavior. 
Have you ever, ever had some God memories and moments in your life? Let, let me do round two. Where were you? Where were you when you first sensed God speaking to you? Do, you? do you remember? Do you have a memory of the first time I think this is God speaking to me? Where were you when you first decided to follow Jesus? Can you remember? Where were you when you recognized God was calling you to surrender or let go of something that you're holding on to? Do you, these are memories that are etched into our minds. They're moments marked by a memory. The famous adage says, those who fail to remember the past are doomed to repeat it. I mean, that God doesn't want us living in cycles of past hurts and insecurities, of emptiness and failures. God is always leading us forward. He's leading us towards wholeness, healing, fulfillment. He wants to lead us towards hope and purpose if we will follow his leading. And so we're kicking off this new series today, talking about some of the significant moments of our lives that are marked with memories of God's faithfulness, presence, and power. And so if you couldn't tell already, the series we're calling it, Altars. Altars. In Exodus 20, 24, it says, Build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me, your burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and goats and cattle. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered and I will come to you and bless you. In the Old Testament, altars were built as a place of memory and a place of meeting. Jesus, or sorry, God says here, he says, build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered. God wanted us to have a place to mark in our memory that where God has been with me, he will be with me. That when God spoke to me, he'll continue to speak to me. As God's been with me, he will go with me going forward. But he also says that this is a place of meeting. I will come to you and bless you. The altar was the place where heaven met earth. It was the place where you would go to connect with the divine, with God himself. Now the altar was supposed to be simple. It was supposed to be easy to make in the moment. Have you ever got like in the, uh, an instruction book, something you're supposed to put together and you're like, you know, either it was really easy or this is a lot harder than they made it seem. Altars were supposed to be really easy. Look at the next verse in 25. It says, if you use stones to build my altar, use only natural uncut stones. Do not shape the stones with a tool, for that would make the altar unfit for holy use. The idea is that all you need to meet with God, all that you need to connect with heaven is what you already have. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to perfect it. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage or a journey to find it. Whenever and wherever in your everyday life, God says, build an altar. It's as simple as that. There's no hurdles to acknowledging God in your life. Find a place and build an altar. You know, these verses are immediately following God's giving of his law through the Ten Commandments. It's, it's ironic, isn't it, that God gives the law and immediately he gives a, a way for people to uh, be repentant of their sinful hearts. God knows already that people wouldn't be able to live up to the standard of the law. And so right away he's providing this uh, sacrificial system, a way to redeem them. And sacrifices are a central part to Israeli worship. They play a significant role in their relationship with God. We see that there were many different sacrifices and specific sacrifices to be offered for specific things. And we see that through uh, Leviticus and through some of the other passages. But we see primarily their purpose uh, was to acknowledge the atonement for sin. 
we see that there is a blood sacrifice that was understood to cleanse from sin and impurity. It was supposed to be symbolic or ritualistic of the seriousness of sin and that there's a price to be paid. That's what the sacrifice was about. We see that there is uh, uh, offerings of worship, sacrifices of worship to express devotion in a way to engage and draw near to God. We see sacrifices of thanksgiving and dedication, expressions of gratitude, acts of dedication, celebration. And we see that these are cultural and social identity identifiers for the Jewish people. Even though the nations all around them were awful, also offered sacrifice, we see that they had rituals and that they were saying this is specifically to the God of Israel, to Yahweh, to Jehovah. Now how many are glad you didn't have to bring your sheep or your lambs or your goats with you this morning? Right? It was hard enough to get your kids up and out of the house. It would be hard to get your sacrifices to come with you too. Right? That would be a really poor, I think, reflection on our neighborhood. They'd be like, that Bethel church is pretty weird over there, wouldn't they? They would think that. I saw the neighbor one time had a deer hanging in their backyard. And, you know, I could... anyways, I digress. However, a couple of weeks ago, I got to tell you, Pastor Kirsten met a man at the door who was a little inebriated, I got to say, and he did want to come in and make a sacrifice here at the altar of the church. Uh, and she said, well, you know, I think you're inebriated. And she looked, but he, he did have a lamb with him. It was a stuffed lamb, though, under his arm. And she kind of politely told him, well, we don't do that here. Uh, but if you want, I'd be happy to take the lamb for you, uh, which he declined. So I don't know whatever became of that. But the reason that we don't need to keep the system of sacrifice going isn't because it's been abolished and done away with. Isn't because that is old school or Old Testament. It's not that the sacrificial system was abolished. It's because the ultimate sacrifice has already been made once and for all. God didn't do away with it, but he fulfilled it in the ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 11 says, Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. You're in this cycle of repetition. He says, But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. How many are thankful for a great high priest today? That we don't live in this cycle of Groundhog Day, doing day after day after day the same ritual, but God himself has made a way for us to be cleansed from our sin. See, the cross is the greatest altar of all time. Jesus became the perfect sinless sacrifice so that no other sacrifice needs to die, no other blood needs to be shed. And the result is now we can approach that altar with gratitude and thankfulness and worship for what Christ has done for us. We don't bring sacrifice anymore, but there's still a way for us to participate. In Romans 12, it says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. See, salvation isn't just about believing in Jesus. It's not just about believing in a historical and spiritual Jesus. It's about living and giving yourself sacrificially to him for his purposes. You know, every day we have the opportunity to come to the altar of the cross and choose Jesus' way over our way, to choose Jesus' plans over our plans. And we have this chance to build altars of memory and meeting. 
in our lives, we have this chance to build altars of memory and meaning. As we look at our life, Jesus, or God said here, to build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered. And then he says, and I will come and bless you. How many know that we want the presence of God like never before? As a church, I want our church to be hungry for the presence of God like never before. I'm so thankful for all that God has done. So thankful for his faithfulness. But as we step out even today, making more room for those who aren't yet in the room, we believe that God has plans and purposes for our city and for our region. And as we invite people to come and meet Jesus, I believe it starts with us as believers making altars in our lives where we remember what God has done, but we also make altars each day where we come and say, I want to meet with God in this place. This passage said that the altar was made to be made of earth. How many know what God formed humanity out of? He made it out of the earth. You, as God took Adam and he, and he brought the dust together, he formed this man and it was made from earth. We don't go to stone altars anymore. We are, in fact, the altar ourselves. They used to go to the altar. God said, I will meet you at the altar. We are the altar. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And so because of that, we can have communion and relationship with God each and every day. Wherever we go, the altar is there. We just need to make the, the point of being intentional, with saying, I want this moment to connect with God. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the stories where God has met with his people. Today, I want to talk to you about the altar of covenant. Covenant is mentioned 300 times in the Old Testament and 33 in the New Testament. Covenant basically, uh, and testament just means covenant. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. That's what testament means. But a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. We don't use the word covenant much anymore. We use contract or agreement or uh, something like an oath or a promise. But in a contract or in a covenant, we have two equal parties that would come together and they would uh, make an agreement. They would negotiate a transaction. A covenant is about a transaction taking place. It could be like a relationship transaction, like a marriage. It could be like a sale or whatever it is. But it's a, a contract. It's a transaction taking place between two equals. You negotiate the transaction, and then you seal the deal, right? You negotiate a price. You give me what you promised me. I'll give you what I promised you. You got the money. I got the car. Whatever it is. Right? You're, you know, you're making this transaction. But there's another covenant. It was called a royal covenant. Where the first covenant was between equals, a royal covenant was a little different. A royal covenant was decreed by a ruler over the people they'd conquered. As the conquering nation, the royal, uh, the king or queen would come and they would say, as conqueror, you are now my subjects. And as my subjects, I want to be benevolent to you. Uh, I will, I'm, I'm going to let you live. I'm not going to kill you all off. I'm going to let you live. But if I'm going to let you live, there's some things I expect of you. I expect your loyalty. I expect your taxes. I expect your cooperation to live in the kingdom that I'm establishing. And in, uh, in, in exchange, I'm going to give you protection. I'm going to give you uh, resources. I'm going to give you uh, um, structures for it to grow the kingdom. Now, here's the thing. Because they weren't equals, there was no negotiating. How many know when the conquering king comes, you don't get to negotiate? You're kind of at their mercy. And so then the conquering king would say, 
I, I come, you have two options. You can accept this covenant or you can reject this covenant. But there's no negotiating. You can't change the terms of the contract. How many know sometimes we want to negotiate with God? Right? Sometimes we're like, hey, God, can we change the terms of the agreement? Can we change, you know, what you expected of me? But this is a royal covenant. God, in his benevolence, comes to us and says, I want to make covenant with you. And he says, I want to bless you. If you follow me, if you turn to me, eventually he'll say, anyone who comes to me through Jesus Christ, all who believe shall be saved. He said, you can accept it or you can reject it, but you can't change it. It's this covenant that God has made with us, his people. In Genesis 12, we see another form of covenant. It says, the Lord said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I'll show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. We see God making a covenant with Abraham here. He says, if you follow my leading for your life, if you follow my direction, I will bless you. And not only will I bless you, but I'm going to bless your family and your children and your children's children. And you're going to have a legacy of blessing for all your descendants. I think Abraham must have been like, me? Like, this is amazing. God, you want to bless me? Of all the people, you're going to bless my children and my, my children's children? He said, hey, bring it on. But, but there's a couple of details. There's a couple of terms to the contract. God says first that you must leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family. How many know that following God's call often means leaving your comfort zones? When you leave your comfort zones, if you've ever been displaced or you moved, you know how highly aware you become of your surroundings. Sometimes God wants to make us highly aware of our comfort zones because it helps us to see what we've been relying on, what we've been counting on. It helps us to see with greater clarity what has become our source of security. And so we see God leading Abraham away from his family. In Joshua, we see that the reason is actually given because his family, in this patriarchal society, as long as he's at home, his father, Terah, would be the patriarch. But we also see that it was their family custom to worship other gods and other idols. And so God's calling him out of that environment, saying, I'm calling you away from that family scenario. I want to do something new in your life. Some of you experienced that yourselves, where God's called you away from your family's pattern of dysfunction or away from your family's pattern of worship. And he started something new. Some of you are first-generation believers in Jesus, and God's starting something new in you and through you. When we leave the comfortable surroundings, we... We, when we're in our comfort zones, we hold on to what's proven, right? We hold on to what we know and what's familiar. But God wants us to see him with more clarity. He wants us to rely on him and respond to him more readily. And so he calls us out sometimes from the familiar place. But the thing is, there's a covenant here. He says, if you'll go, I'll show you where to go. He said, go to the land that I will show you. I will be with you. And so it says that Abraham departed as the Lord instruction. It says that as he traveled and he headed for the land of Canaan, and when he arrived in Canaan, Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem, and there he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. So that Abraham went without knowing where he was going. 
I remember the first step of obedience often in this faith journey with God is taking that first step, not knowing what the second step might be, not knowing what the destination will be. Some of you have done that. You've followed God and you're like, okay, God, I'm stepping out, but I don't know how this is gonna go. It's like when I launch that church, I, I know what day launch day is, but I don't know how it's gonna go. There's a whole story behind that where we actually didn't even have a, a venue for our first you know, a service. We actually had to meet in a park under a tree. And all we had was that God told us to do this, so we're stepping out to do it. Right? We don't even have the contracts inked yet for a meeting in the school that we're supposed to be meeting in. It's in this place where you start wondering, God, are you really telling me to do this? Like, it's kind of risky being out here, following your leading. Like, am I doing the right thing? And in those moments, God wants us to always keep coming back to these altars, these altars that we've built where we were reminded of God's covenant. Abraham is clear of what God is calling him to do, and so he does it, acting on God's promises. Even though there is nothing to indicate that they would be fulfilled, he sets out on his journey. Verse seven, it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give you this land to your descendants. And in that moment, Abraham built an altar there and he dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. And after that, Abraham traveled south and he set up camp in the hill country from, uh, with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. And there he built another altar and he dedicated it to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. And Abraham continue, continued traveling south by stages towards the Negev. I love this thought that Abraham continued traveling south by stages. It's repeated again in chapter 13, verse 3. They continued traveling by stages. You know, I'm glad sometimes that God doesn't reveal the whole picture to me. You know, I, often I'm frustrated. I'm like praying, God, like, show, I just want to see, I just want proof that, that we're going to be successful. I, I, I want to know. To be honest, even this week, you can notice we put some chairs away. We didn't leave them all out because we didn't want all the extra chairs to make feel like, oh, there's not, you know, we're missing a whole bunch. As, we, as we're growing, I put a few chairs away in the back room, to be honest with you. And I had a moment this week where I'm like, God, this feels really like anticlimactic. This is like the opposite of what, as we're growing, I'm putting more chairs away. And I had a moment, God, am I doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing going to two services? Will you bring more? And I felt God saying, just go as I've led you to go. Just continue to grow. Continue to grow. But in the moment, you have these doubts. And I love that God only shows us one step at a time. I think if God showed us the whole picture, we'd be too scared to follow him. Right? It's not that we would doubt God. I think we would actually doubt ourselves. God, I've seen the big picture, and I don't think I'm up to what you've called me to do. I don't think I have the ability to, but God says one step at a time. You might not have the ability. You might not be the person that you need to be yet, to be, but you're going to become. The purpose is the process of the following of God. You know, if God showed some of us, we, we, would, we would doubt him. You know, I, 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 but others of us, we, we, we were running ahead of him making it happen on our own. God said, so let's do it. And we'd be diving in and God would be like, oh, slow down there, Sparky, right? <laughs> I think God leads us in stages to keep us from being overwhelmed, but also to keep us listening to him, to keep us trusting him. In scriptures, every stage he completed, every place he stopped, that Abraham built another altar. Every stage he completed, he built an altar. He said, thus far, God's been with me. And just like God has been with me, he's been with me. God met with me here. 
God's, I don't know where he's leading me, but I know that he's with me now. And I'm making this an altar. I'm making this a place of memory and a place of meeting with God because I don't know what the future holds, but I know what today is. God led me here, will meet with me there. As he's been with me, he will be with me. Chapter 13 tells us that Abraham loses his way a bit, kind of forgets who he is, forgets what God's call is on his life a little bit. And so he returns to the last place, to the last altar he had made and said, this, I just gotta go back for a fresh start. Say, God, do something new in me. I, like you met with me here. Let me refocus on your promises today. You know, he couldn't see how things would end up. But Abraham took a faith step. And so some of you are here today and, and this moment of covenant, God's made a covenant with you and with me. The ultimate covenant being his son, Jesus Christ, like I said. So there's no longer a system of sacrifice where we offer the sacrifice of animals and blood. There's a sacrifice where he says, I've paid the price. There's no negotiating the contract, accept it or reject it. But if you accept it, he says, I'm gonna bless you and I will lead you and I will be with you. Some of you have been on a journey with Jesus over the years and maybe you're in this difficult place or you're kind of in that in-between stage right now, right? Abraham, you're in the in-between stages and you're like, have I done the right thing? I took a faith step and now I'm not quite sure. Is this really what God asked of me, right? And you're, you're trying to figure it out. I want you to just remember that God who has been with you will be with you today. I think someone needs to hear that from the Lord. Well, we're just gonna worship for another moment together. And we're gonna close the service. But the song we're singing is that the same God who led Abraham, the same God says that in Hebrews 11, that when he reached the land God promised him, Abraham lived there by faith. He never settled in, never got comfortable, never forgot his calling. But he was living like a foreigner in tents. And then so did his children, Isaac and his grandson, Jacob, and all who inherited the same promise. And Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Because Abraham followed the Lord's commandment to take that first step, it said that he was blessed. He met with Jesus, his son was blessed. He met his grandchildren were blessed. And even now today we look through the lineage, we see that it led through Jesus, that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How I many you know we are blessed because God made a covenant with Abraham today? And just as God was faithful to him, he has been faithful to us. And even as God has called us, he's going to continue to go with us wherever he leads us. Maybe a few moments ago, I was asking what those moments and markers were in your life. And you would say, you know, Pastor Jeremy, I don't have any memories or markers or moments where God spoke to me. But today could be the first day. Maybe today is the day that you make the decision, God, I'm going to follow you. Uh, today you're sensing God speaking to you and calling you to give your life to him. If that's you, we'd love to connect with you. Our prayer team is going to be here at the altar in just a moment. They would love that opportunity to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you're like, Pastor Jeremy, I'm in the middle of it right now. I feel like I'm lost. I'm kind of like, kind of wandering in the wind as it were. And, and you're kind of looking for that hope, something to hold on to. And God would want to take you back to that place. Remember Remember who I called you to be. Remember what I've done for you. Remember that as I have been with you, I will go with you. We'd love to pray with you this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray for my friends. And I just thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. 
And God, I pray that whatever this week holds for us, Lord, we would be reminded, as you've been with us, you'll be with us. Lord God, for those who are making that decision to follow you for the first time today, or maybe they're coming back like Abraham, coming back for a fresh start, going back to the last time they met with you and saying, God, I need to, to change, I need to be transformed, I need to be reminded of who you are in my life. Lord, as they're in that place, Lord God, I pray that there would be a day of fresh starts. So give us a fresh start, give us courage, give us um, inspiration to continue to live boldly for you, no matter where you'll lead us, no matter what the future looks like, Lord Jesus, we pray. God, whether we have all the answers mapped out, Lord, or whether we're just leading, following you by faith, Lord God, lead us, we pray in Jesus' name.